You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Edouard Roquette is the founder of Rooms.Taipei, a co-living business. In episode 192, he spoke to me about his experiences as an entrepreneur and the challenges facing foreign entrepreneurs in Taiwan. I've invited him back on to talk about the life-changing scooter accident that happened to him in 2012. It landed him in a wheelchair for six months and on crutches for eight years. With physical therapy and treatment, Edward has been able to walk and hike again. To this day, he continues to consult with physical therapists about his condition. We also spoke about how he took on the role of playing Tiger Man at the annual festivities in Beigong, celebrating the birthday of Matsu, the goddess of the sea. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by Natoa, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. Natoa was founded in 1988, and its mission is, one, to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. Two, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. Three, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. Four, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. Five, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NADWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Without further ado, Here's our interview. You talked about how you had this accident and you had to go through eight years on crutches. So, and you're, I assume you're rehabilitating yourself to the point of being able to walk. So, I'm wondering what was that like and like what was the prognosis? Did they tell you that you were going to be able to walk or not? Nobody tells you anything. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a bit of a parallel to make here, which to me uh, I live this in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, my accident happened three days before the end of my visa. Oh my goodness! And the hospitals in Taiwan, I, I don't want to make a broad generalization, but yeah. it seems that most of them um, are really afraid that people are going to be addicted to pain medication. Oh. So the pain treatment in my case and the case of some other people that I've seen was mm. absolutely horrendous. Oh, dear. And I mean, essentially between the accident and the first moment where somebody pushed something into my system to manage the pain, two hours went by. Oh, my goodness. And so I knew, for example, in the ambulance that uh, they were not giving anything. I'd heard about this. So I asked and told me, no, wait for the hospital. At the hospital, it was, no, first we need to check your ID. Oh, no, first we need to check your credit card. No, wow. we need to wait for the doctor. Or oh, the doctor said you need to take x-ray, so first you need to take the x-ray. And then mm-hmm. after, you know, they wheeled me back to the triage after the x-ray, as then mm-hmm. can I get something yeah. Oh, sorry, the doctor forgot. Oh, Lord. And so I was in an extremely poor condition for several days. And you and I have video that we're recording. You can see that uh, my beard is turned white. And that's basically uh, from that period. Okay. Uh, well, I'm actually not recording video. I can see you, but I'm not recording it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. And essentially the... 
system is uh, very far away from, mm-hmm. like, a friend of mine has had exactly the same fracture in France. He's 62 year old, and mm-hmm. his was an open fracture. After eight days, he was comfortably sitting on the bed and talking to me. After seven days in Taiwan, they tried to get me to stand up and to just stand on like one good leg. I almost fainted and oh. was not something we could do. Oh my goodness. Um, and so where I'm getting with that is, unfortunately, this delayed the moment where I sent somebody to immigration uh, to tell them, hey, this guy just had an accident and yeah. uh, his visa is about to expire. Yeah. Uh, there was some back and forth between immigration, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Minister of Government Affairs, etc. And eventually, my uh, at the time, family member of mine was around here. Uh, he got an answer that we trusted. And that answer was the wrong one. And I ended up being banned from Taiwan for a year because of this. And Wait, because they told you we trust you, it's okay that you're overstayed or something? What was the answer? Was you will um, handle that at the airport when you go out. Obviously, I mean the you're not going to get out in the three days. So yes, what? The, but and so there was no explicit conversation of what happens outside of that three-day window. Exactly. There was no explicit. I mean, uh, when that conversation happened, it was already outside of the three-day window. Yeah. Okay. Like it had already passed, which mm-hmm. was definitely one of the issues. Yeah. Um, and uh, definitely, you know, a uh, smart thing at the time to do would have been to check the law when it comes to this. I'd heard thing. Mm-hmm. I did not check the law, like yeah. to see exactly what was written. Sure. I should have gone and read the relevant regulation. The truth mm-hmm. is, unfortunately, I was in a physical condition that oh, was yeah. nasty. Yeah. Um, in particular, because I ended up being uh, like stationary in a bed, not allowed to move or right. to walk for about right. three months. Oh my goodness! And then in a wheelchair for another three. Oh my goodness. Um, and on the side of the doctor or on the side of immigration, when you have problems, nobody wants to tell you an exact thing. Everybody will tell you, oh, well, it's going to be like that next week, and maybe you cannot do that thing. But nobody tells you, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. They don't tell you exactly the situation, or they don't give you a clear answer. And in fact, the sad truth is, I, I got lucky when it comes mm-hmm. to my life, I met a physiotherapist that I had been treated by physiotherapist in France when I had to go back when I was banned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the progress was slow and not great. Um, I found the magician, a physiotherapist, who, by the way, is based in Taipei and that have been, you know, shamelessly advertising his services to everybody around me <laughs> because he yeah. has taken me from um, not being able to stand up for more than three or four minutes without a crutch to being able to hike again. So yeah, rest as far as I'm that's incredible. Absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. You can find it on Facebook. He has a page. Uh, it's uh, mostly titles in Chinese, but there is some English, which is jj.physio. Okay. Um, and uh, any listener, tell him you come from me. Tell him, <laughs> tell him about your problems. He's absolutely fantastic. And if I had not found this guy, I would still be on a crutch today. Oh my goodness. And so to come back to the pronostic, it's obviously difficult for a doctor to tell you this and that's going to happen because yeah. they do not want to be um, 
give you a promise, uh, yeah. Confronted with by a patient saying, hey, but you told me this. But the downside of that is that they're also um, really reluctant to tell you anything at all. So in Taipei, for example, I eventually went to ask my surgeon after a couple of weeks, like, hey, shouldn't I do physio? And his answer was, oh, yeah, if you want, you can come to the hospital at 9 a.m. every Wednesday, there's something. The reality mm -hmm. is any modern system would put you the day of the surgery, would already put you on a machine that would uh, mm -hmm. slowly start bending your leg. Mm. Uh, so physiotherapy in Taiwan, it's just like pain uh, management. It's extremely mm. backward. And anybody ended up in a situation like this, I would encourage you to uh, ask advice from elsewhere to make sure that you're treated correctly. Wow. Um, now, so uh, I got very lucky finding this guy. This is the second thing that you know I've taken out of this, is that uh, you got to try everything. Yes. Um, I never said no to a recommendation from somebody mm -hmm. who was trying to get me to try a new thing. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of it was complete quakery, uh, but my, my policy was that I got to try everything. Um, yeah. Sadly, most of it was quakery. Oh. Some people who are not fully, let's say, not fully scientific type of treatment, I'm not sure how to turn this in English, but um, some people who are doing uh, physical work and who do not have like a physiotherapy degree or a sport mm -hmm. medicine degree mm -hmm. will be very focused on one particular issue that you have uh, and they will treat that correctly. The problem mm -hmm. is that um, when you have a significant accident like that you have 50 to 100 different problems that you need to solve sure uh, i've been seeing this visa for two years and we're yeah. still discussing about oh wow. you know, this particular movement that thing happened yeah. and we're going to spend two or three weeks in it. wow wow um so yeah so you spent sure. like about three months, like because you're uh, bedridden in Taiwan, and then you got kicked out, and so you had treatment in um, France for a year, and then you came back to Taiwan. Is that the timeline? Yes, and so unfortunately, at that time, I lost my company. I lost um, pretty much every money that I had. I lost my health, and fortunately, I lost the relationship that I was in. Mm. I lost you, you. This was a reset of sorts. Mm -hmm. And when you are in a situation like that, I've seen it with other people who have been in, in particularly difficult um, uh, situations like this, you go for what is familiar and comfortable. Yeah, sure. And while I was in France, I just could not wait to be back in Taipei for the familiar and comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. But then you still had quite, a, like you said, it, you know, you, it took you eight years to be able to walk. Like, how did you get through that? I mean, I hear from what you're saying is that you seem to have this willfulness which in this case i think served you well uh, to so, recover to try and answer your question yes my impression is that people who have gone uh, who were not born with a handicap yes have this uh, fuck you life attitude toward their handicap where they do not want to be limited by the handicap yes and so they end up doing outrageous things mm. to not feel the limitation that uh, reality has imposed onto them. Yeah. Um, and so this was how I lived it. 
Mm-hmm. And so fairly quickly after my accident, when I was back in France, I ended up, you know, with my two crutches dancing on top of the table in the bar, and that mm-hmm. became a regular thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, once back in Taiwan, I was a regular at most festivals. Mm-hmm. In fact, actually, the night they removed my cast, yes. I packed my crutches on the back of my electric wheelchair. I drove the wheelchair to Roxy 99. Uh, two friends helped me to get me down the stairs to make sure I wouldn't fall. And wow. I, I spent a day drinking in Pepsi. <laughs> because <laughs> you want to feel a measure of normalcy. Yes. And yes. so this is um, like uh, what was very striking for friends around me was the number of people who would come up to me during any of these nights and ask me, oh my God, what happened? And this was the issue with my particular handicap. It was that I took like something that had just happened. I just had, you know, a hiking accident two months ago and I'd be okay in a month. They didn't mm-hmm. realize that at the time I thought this was a lifelong Yes. that had happened to me. It, it probably is in some ways, just that I'm doing much better. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I kind of lost the. Um, uh, yeah, no, that's okay. We we're talking about how you got through the eight years. That's the, yeah, the relationship yeah. to handicap. So yeah. um, this, there was the physical uh, difficulty to go through. And yeah. after there is the tiredness that you get from having similar interaction with people who are asking you the same question again and again about what's happening to you. Um, and they are different level. Like when I was in the wheelchair, people would be a lot more circumspect. Once I got on crutches, like it was a lot more. I sometime in clubs, I would have an idiot who would grab my crutch and want oh, to hoist it up in the air. Oh and my play God, with it. yeah, sure. And, and a couple of times, more than a couple of times, a dozen times, I had to be really rude oh. uh, to get people to back the fuck off. Yeah, no kidding. And so there's the, um, you know, there's the social aspect, there's the physical aspect, and then there is your relationship with your limitations. And that mm-hmm. plays when uh, when you're handicapped and trying to socialize yeah. the world. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful. I mean, I am very interested and curious about this because I haven't gone some, through something of that level, but I've dealt with some health issues. I have like very extreme eczema and I've had four eye surgeries as a complication related to that. And yeah, so actually the vision in my left eye is a little bit compromised. Long story short, I've had cataract, I've had retina detachment surgery and I had retina detachment surgery twice in my right eye and my eye doctor who did the retina detachment surgery says she's amazed at how well I can see she's thinking about presenting me <laughs> as a case wow. like because I'm a real anomaly because I, I, I can function even though it sounds like that's crazy that I've had four eye surgeries but uh, I don't have I don't wear glasses I'm I can function. I think that there is a way to find a way to heal, and we don't know all the answers. Sometimes we focus on the physical, but there's other things that are deeply rooted that are related because we are like a whole, you know, mind body. So it's fascinating to me. This, the two lessons that I take from it is um, you got to try everything. Yes, be open to it. I, I mean, I tried hand magnetism. This, this was to make my mother happy. This, this, this is not okay. something I wanted to do. Okay. But I thought, fuck it, you know, she, she, yeah. 
should for any reason anything of that. What's it gonna hurt, hurt right? <laughs> exactly. Did it do uh, anything? <laughs> a, a tingling sensation. Just mm -hmm. curious. But yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, nothing more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Foot massage. Uh, Taiwanese foot massage made a big impact. Yeah, no, maybe the acupressure po points or something, something yeah. to that. And the second yeah. big, big, big lesson I've learned is that the uh, very best advice, and um, not just advice, but also the uh, exchanges that have helped me to normalize what I was going through and to uh, get it better, was with people who had uh, gone through something similar. A friend of mine is a competitive uh, spearfisher in France. Oh, wow. So he goes in apnea at the bottom of the ocean oh, and wait for a minute that the fish come by before he can harpoon it and bring yeah. it to the top. And his foot was caught in oh. the propeller of his boat. Oh, my gosh. So he lost the rear half of his oh. foot. Oh. And the 45 minutes that I spent with him back in 2012, have been more useful than almost any other interaction that I had for the next few years. Mm -hmm. They are nowadays a lot of Facebook groups for specific yep. disease. Yeah. Um, it can be hugely helpful uh, to keep an eye on this, if only to know that, well, other people are going through the same shit. Yeah. And this is a cliche, but damn, it is useful. But also to learn about new type of treatment, to understand that perhaps what your doctors have not seen. Um, I currently in France, when I go back, I mean, not every single time, but essentially I see three to four different surgeons because one what? is not enough. Yes. And it's the same with your most physiotherapist, uh, Jack, the JJ.physio, the guy that mm -hmm. I've talked about, mm -hmm. uh, is very broad in what he's able to do. I'm really, really surprised. But I know from a principle that I need to keep seeking out other practitioners. Uh, in order to, because perhaps there's certain things that he hasn't seen. Yes, um, makes sense. And this with surgeons, for example, is incredibly true. Um, and so these support groups that we find online, like I've learned, for example, in the U.S., my particular fracture is classified by uh, type number. In Taiwan, I've never heard about this. I still oh. don't know what's my type number. They don't number. have that classification. No. Hmm. And they have, like, different approaches. And so anyway... Um, uh, seek different treatment and seek people who has had the same uh, thing happen to them is what I've gotten out of these you know, 10 years. If I may, one, one last little point regarding immigration. If you have any uh, problem with your visa, do not trust uh, immigration in Taiwan to give you a straight answer. The only people who will give you a straight answer will be the embassies, the consular services of embassies. So if you have a visa problem here in Taiwan, Perhaps recently, uh, a lot of people reach out to me because they know of my past issues. Mm -hmm. uh, because the um, automatic renewal of visas that were in place while the pandemic was at a level three mm -hmm. has been stopped since okay. uh, mid-May, I believe. And yeah. a lot of people suddenly realized that they had just a few weeks to either leave yeah. the country or find a new visa. Mm -hmm. um, this is, uh, if you have any visa from in Taiwan, it's considered an administrative offense. Uh, and unless you get married, there is no other way to go around that. Wow. I appealed to uh, the community when this happened to me, uh, the foreign community and, you know, anybody around me. I got lucky enough, I, I had already a lawyer doing this for me, but I got lucky enough to have uh, somebody asking a member of parliament to put in uh, 
recommendation for me, which was wow. I was very lucky with this. Yeah. I still received the same answer. I mean, I, I'm glad that this happened because I actually got an answer. I got a letter that explained me that nothing would change. Oh. And you know, this was quite valuable for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but so I'd like to uh, say if you overstay uh, and you have a good reason for it, uh, do not do not bother trying harder. The government will not. Immigration is a ruthless, heartless, careless machine that will just mm -hmm. apply its rules and there's nothing to do about it. So if you're if you're a French citizen, go to the French consulate, is that what you're saying? Or? Embassies give you a straight answer. And now for a short break. Hello listeners, we're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content, under 20 minutes long, and we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes? What would you like to hear more of or less of? Email us at podcast at talkingtaiwan.com. We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lin, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lin, author of Death Doesn't Forget, and Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. Edward explained that when he went to the airport in his wheelchair after his accident to get on a plane, he was not allowed to board the plane and was told to go to the immigration office. I you know, showed them all of my doctor's certificate. It was very, very, very obvious that you know I was still heavily yeah. Uh, yeah. disabled. Mm -hmm. uh, I brought my investment certificate that I'm a company, that I'm yeah. The, yeah. the managing director of the company mm -hmm. in Taiwan, mm -hmm. etc. Mm -hmm. um, they uh, you know, told me, okay, you have to pay a fine. Um, and the thing where, which is a bit vicious with this and where everybody in this situation need to be aware is that the one thing they told me is, okay, you will not be able to come back with this type of visa for one year. Wow. Okay. Which, which I was fine. I left, went back to Europe, so some doctors, so my family. Two months later, applied again for a visa. And that's when I was told that I was actually banned. Oh, boy. Nobody will tell you that you're banned until you're wow. outside of the country. Oh, my goodness. My understanding is that they do this to avoid people running away or making a scene at immigration. Oh. Um, but... <gasps> This is essentially, I mean, like, I knew that, you know, things were often not very clear in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So I had taken some uh, partial measure to face that. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that this created a lot of problems for me. Sure. Yes. Um, and so in, in immigration and doctor do not tell you much. That's the point for the story. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm not surprised. I've had my share of uh, issues with immigration. Well, this was a first. Having a fire alarm go off in the middle of an interview. I paused the interview while Edward made sure that everything was okay and that there really was no fire where he was. Okay, that's okay, as long as you're not in any danger. <laughs> okay. Well, I already had, you know, uh, the massive um, scooter accident. <laughs> I had an accident where I woke up in a hospital with no memory of the past months. I had a train crash. I had, I'm trying to remember, so I'm thinking, well, if there is, you know, escape from a building in fire, that would just go into the little list of Yeah, you're shit. like, a, you like, well, you haven't quite had nine lives, but you're almost like that, like the cat <laughs> with nine lives. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting. It brings me to my next question, <laughs> because you mentioned that um, you are, um, that, for Matsu's birthday, you've uh, gotten into playing the role of the Tiger Man for her, for the birthday of the sea goddess. Yes. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I'm curious. Just... Yeah, tell me about that. Because I actually don't even know what that is. Of course, I know what Matsu is, but I don't know about this whole Tiger Man and like all the. I don't know much about the actual festivities around her birthday. And... It's actually a bit broader than that. Uh, yeah. Because I'll explain you the, the half sure. story. But yeah. what I've realized over the years is that Taiwan has this really dense uh, religious culture, mm -hmm. which, I, I mean, I lived in India before, and India also was absolutely, you know, mind-boggling. Yeah. But I haven't seen, like, such a density of practices in mm -hmm. other Asian countries. Mm. And even in comparison, like, France, for example, has yeah. hundreds of gorgeous cathedrals and churches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But again, the practice is there is nowhere near as much and again, nowhere near as much diversity. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating is that this is still going on very strong. Yeah. And so it looks like it's going to keep going into the, to the future and that mm -hmm. Chinese people are at the, the festival where I go, there's 200,000 people most years. Mm -hmm. And that is the small one. It's the <laughs> one in Vegas. The big one, right. which is in Pacha, has 1 million people. The big ones in where? Taja. Okay. And so that's essentially 5% of the population in the country that yeah. goes to a religious festival. Yeah. It's, uh, there are few things in the world that compare to that. And I can, you know, go into details and explain you how every 50 to 70 kilometers, you see a change in uh, focus in religious practice uh, between Shinzu and Kenting. It's, mm. it's just a few yeah. countries have that. It's really mind-boggling. Yeah. Yet, uh, it's completely unknown um, by most foreigners. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Ministry of Tourism does not communicate about that at all. Right. And I've had actually encounters with people working from the Ministry of Tourism telling them how elated and absolutely delighted all of the foreigners that I brought to these uh, religious ceremonies had been and how much they wanted to see more, but mm -hmm. how much they were struggling with the moon calendar and trying to understand the details. Mm -hmm. um, it, there seems, it seems to be two parallel worlds running. You know, there's the modern world in Taiwan, people come yep. to work, the one that we know, the podcast, yep. the uh, yep. office jobs, the big companies. Yep. Yeah, and there tech. is the traditional uh, ceremonies in places that we hardly ever hear about. 
um, and ceremonies, which are wonderful. And the interesting bit is that it's not just Taoists. Um, I go to the, in Pingdong County, uh, every first Sunday of December, mm-hmm. there is a, I don't want to say anything wrong, an advanced ceremony uh, where they carry around the, uh, the statue of Maria. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't look like what I've seen in Europe. This is clearly Taiwanese. Okay. Um, and so you see this uh, difference and the intensity of the practice to, to be, it, it's about what the country does. It's not about the religion in itself. Yeah, it's um, become localized, yeah. So I'd like to, uh, so the name of the place is the Wanjing Catholic Basilica. Okay. And it's the first Sunday of every month. It's very peaceful, very beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, very relaxed. You have uh, Filipina nuns. Uh, around <laughs> that come to celebrate the mass it's for, for any westerner that has yeah. a given idea about uh, christianity or catholicism i'd mm-hmm. say go and check it out because the taiwanese yeah. do it differently <laughs> now the other ceremony is the really famous one is the yuan shui Pao, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably one of the least interesting ceremony when it comes to processions and firecrackers but okay. it is one of the most spectacular and most heard of mm-hmm. um so i would i would like to encourage any listener to check out the other ones mm-hmm. every three years you have the boat burning ceremony in donggang south mm-hmm. of kaohsiung this mm-hmm. is the harbor where you go to yocho mm-hmm. uh, that one is also really fairly famous and you will see quite a few foreigners mm-hmm. uh, now the ones that are much more obscure for example will be the bombing of master hamdan in Taidong, it's usually mm-hmm. the first week after Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that you and I have, uh, have talked about just before, which is mm-hmm. the birthday of Matsu mm-hmm. at the Chaotian Temple in Beigang, mm-hmm. usually in late April to early May, depending mm-hmm. on the moon calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have a very strange ceremony, which is you have these massive poles that mm-hmm. are greased. Mm-hmm. And people go together as teams, and they have mm-hmm. to climb up to the oh. poles to grab mm-hmm. something and go down. <laughs> I've only seen this once in Milan. Very bizarre. Um, and so these ceremonies that I just mentioned, some of them are uh, only local. Some mm-hmm. others are around the country, mm-hmm. but on specific timetables. Yeah. So, for example, the boat burning ceremony in Donggang and in Yuchun mm-hmm. happen every three years. Oh, in, okay. Uh, Tainan County in Guerin, it's every 21 years. Oh, wow. And in Xingang, um, in Yunlin County, it's every oh, wow. 121 years. Oh, my goodness. So there will be, um, how can I say, it's, uh, you, in Taiwan, you never quite know what's going to happen in terms yeah. of ceremony, and you have to yeah. keep listening, asking people like what's going on, yeah. what's, what's wow. nice to see and be curious. Um, oh. And it's an endless source of surprise. Mm-hmm. And so my personal experience with it was through a friend of my then girlfriend. Uh, I was introduced to a dragon dancing team mm-hmm. uh, when I was briefly living in Taiwan in 2006. Mm-hmm. I came back uh, another year to do it again. Um, and then on my third year, I met a member of the Tiger Man. So essentially, they carried the pagoda of the Tiger Gorge. Um, okay. The tiger god, it's a beautiful wooden pagoda, maybe a palanquin, you could call it. Mm-hmm. It's carried by uh, eight men, 
It's about 150 kilograms. They go on a pilgrimage for around two weeks around Union County. And where I go, usually it's the last three days when they bring back the palanquin to Vega. Uh, okay. um, and that ceremony is mind-boggling. If 200,000 people, hundreds of different troops doing different things, it's almost difficult to describe what it is yeah. in English yeah. to a, yeah. to an international audience because sure. there's no frame of reference. Yeah. One example yeah. is they have these buses that they cut in half and they call <laughs> it the electric flower car. And they have these uh, animated arms that rotate in the air around the bus. And at the end of each of these arms, you have a child sitting, sometimes oh. as young as four, five, six years oh. old. Hmm. Uh, that child is uh, dressed up as a princess or a prince from an ancient Chinese history <laughs> and throws candy around to a crowd that is completely mad about getting candies because these candies are considered very lucky. Wow. Um, and these buses are covered in LEDs, neon lights, extremely bright, very, very yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Um, and they pump up uh, very loud techno music. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell do you? You know, communicate simply this to an international audience. Yeah, it's, it's so strange. Wow. Um, and yeah. this is just one troop among dozens, if not hundreds. Yeah. So wow. there is also it's fascinating. There's a lot of innovation in religion in Taiwan. Yes. One year yes. in particular, there was a troop of pom pom girls, mm -hmm. and so I have this one photo where the troop is doing mm -hmm. its show in front of the temple. And mm -hmm. they've thrown in the air this young woman who is doing a split. Yeah. Yeah. She's most likely at four, four meter in height wow. up in the air with wow. the entire crowd looking at her, just not believing what's happening. <laughs> and these guys, I only saw them once, never saw them again. The yeah. year after, there was a strange troop that carried some kind of makeshift cannon. It yeah. looked military. And he oh. would throw a shiny paper in the air yeah. at 30 or 40 yeah. meter altitude. <laughs> so every year a different thing. Yeah. Wow. And so when I met the uh, Tiger Man, this was a little bit more peculiar because they are, uh, it's a god that's uh, tough, that's um, hard. Um, under the palanquin, they put between, um, they, they put a lot of firecracker. Uh -huh. for, for many years, I thought it was uh, 40 to 70 kilograms of firecrackers. Okay. And then about two years ago, I started counting the boxes and looking at the weight on the boxes. Yeah. And I realized it was, in fact, 150 to 250 kilograms of firecrackers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I realized oh. the explosions are completely mad. Yeah. Um, this year, I, uh, I opened to the public some of the videos that I did on Facebook because uh -huh. friends were asking for it. There yeah. is something like 20,000 views on the video just wow. because it's extremely spectacular. And, yes. And, and, um, and so the uh, Tiger Man, it, it took me a few, like let's say the first year they were glad to have a foreigner. But after that, the next three or four years, I sort of had to um, how can I say, um, show that, you know, I was there, that I was present. Basically, I had to suck it off a little bit to become a proper member. Now it's been um, 14 years that I've been a member oh, wow. of the troop. Yeah. So I'm now getting a lot of respect from all these guys. Yeah. Uh, it's been quite funny this year because about 150, 200 people 
from Beigang have added uh-huh. me up on Facebook. A lot of them, Tiger Man or from other troops, they're very curious. And I now see them having conversations about they want to, next year, they want me to carry the palanquin. And it's, it's a very peculiar world, very, very nice, very enjoyable, obviously. But back to, the, to joining the troop, which yeah. is what I think would be fascinating for most mm-hmm. listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to say, really, don't be shy. Um, if you see a religious troop going around, walk mm-hmm. a little bit with them, mm-hmm. try and communicate with them, mm-hmm. ask them questions about what mm-hmm. they're doing, mm-hmm. hang out a bit, and at least in Beigang, within you know a few minutes, they're going to offer you to do something with them. Yeah. And if you hang out for you know the next half hour, hour, at some point somebody is going to pop out you know the t-shirt from the team. It's going to be like, <laughs> hey, join us, come with us. <laughs> After that, this is perhaps where there is something to understand is that if you're offered to do that, you don't leave within the next hour. Basically, you have to spend at least the next three, four hours with them to cement the relationship sure. so that they feel that, you know, this um, uh, honor of sort that they have done to you by asking you to join is really worth it. But so, you take uh, it seriously, sure. Yeah, because it's still a religion. Yeah. And I mean, they're still carrying yeah. their God. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. People here are very relaxed about this, but this is still a very serious topic. Yeah. Yeah. That's and interesting. if this is something that, you know, your listeners are into, um, it, it's fascinating. There is a whole lot more to discover than what I've just described. Yeah. Um, and Beigang in particular, um, it's just the right size. To have mm-hmm. a lot of troops and a lot of mm-hmm. hustle and bustle, mm-hmm. um, things constantly happening, um, but not so much uh, like, for example, in Daja, where mm-hmm. you cannot get near the temple because the crowd is just so insane. Okay. Yeah. So I'd highly recommend it. Uh, yeah. For anybody who wants to go there, um, you, my suggestion would be to call either the tourist hotline. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps a little bit better to call a local hotel mm-hmm. or the local uh, tourism bureau. You're going to have, for example, a tourism mm-hmm. information office mm-hmm. in the HSR station uh, nearby in Jai. Mm-hmm. Um, and to ask them for the dates of the festival. Right. My particular recommendation is that you ask on which day does the temple close, which morning. It's going to close at 10 or 11 in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, and that last ceremony that goes from maybe 6 in the morning to 10 or 11 is going to be the most interesting one. And oh. the day before is going to be the most interesting one. Right, right. So, yeah, towards end, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to find hotels in that area. Uh, you, you have to do these two, three months in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's so... I've never experienced, I mean, I've seen things uh, when I was in Taiwan, but I've never really deeply gotten involved with any um, religious processions or ceremonies or anything. So it's just so fascinating. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Um, I met a Taiwanese guy in the UK who I asked him, what are you doing this summer? We're Uh students at the same university. Uh His answer was, I'm going to Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Bulgaria. I realized that uh, this man had seen more European countries than me. And oh. I understood that you have to be a tourist in your own country. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I, I, since that, I've been making a peculiar effort to, to see. I mean, I've been in Taiwan for 14 years, yeah. uh, living uh, without interruption. 
Yeah. Um, I still try and go and see what I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, and same for the country where you know each yeah. of us come from. Like we have yeah. to be actively yes. curious. Yes. Yeah. Because um, there's can't assume that we know everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's really fascinating. I think it's not surprising that people in Taiwan are so friendly, but as you said, if you're invited into a ceremony or uh, into this religious rite, that you need to respect that and uh, take it seriously and take the opportunity if you're interested in it. So the trickiness is, you know, you go into a temple and people are eating, smoking, chewing binlan, <laughs> um, so it looks very low-key and relaxed, and, yes. and in many ways it is. But... Um, we also, as outsiders, need to understand where's the where's the limit to that, and so obviously we we have to thread very carefully about it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to forward you the link to one of the, the craziest videos this year. Okay, wonderful. Uh, if you want to add it to the description of the sure, yeah, I think it to, yeah, be, I was gonna I was gonna ask you if uh, the videos are on your Facebook or whatever. Thank you for that. I, I think it will be fun to watch for people who have no clue what this is. Yeah. Uh, this is this year. It's particularly about my troop because I, I went alone this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, friends of mm-hmm. mine who were supposed to join had to cancel. Mm-hmm. Um, the other years, I try and cover a little bit more the other troops. Uh, this mm-hmm. year, I really did mostly Tigerman, Tigerman, Tigerman. Yeah. Um, and so this is not as much of a snapshot of everything. Uh, but yeah. it's a deeper view of the Tiger Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Great. Um, yeah, okay, great. So, sorry, just briefly. Yes. So, because this is very difficult, uh, this is very difficult to get proper information about religious uh, sure. uh, things yeah. in Taiwan. Yeah. There is, um, I mean, like not even, like I mentioned, not even the Ministry of Tourism will, will yeah. give you this info. There is, however, a website that seems to cover some of this. It's okay. TaiwanGods.com. Okay. Um, there is some decent info in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. For anybody curious, that's like a, a place to start. I'm sending you the English page sure. for that website. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad that we had this follow-up. You have so much knowledge to share. Felicia, thank you for everything. I'm glad to have been here. I've been speaking with Edouard Roquette, the founder of Taipei, about how he dealt with the life-changing scooter accident that landed him in a wheelchair, and how he's gotten into playing the role of Tiger Man at Matsu's birthday festivities in Beigang. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by Natoa, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association, NATOA, was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATOA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. 
To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.